Faith family, I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to Psalm chapter 4, Psalm chapter 4. How many of you have a cell phone? Hold that up if you've got your cell phone, right? Yeah, some of you even use your cell phone for like your Bible app and all that. I use my cell phone for all kinds of things. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you are this way. You keep your cell phone around you a lot because you do so many things with it. Uh, I make phone calls and check emails. I take pictures of my kids. But another thing I use my cell phone for is I have all my music uh, downloaded and stored in my cell phone. How many of you do that as well? right? Yeah, several of you. So that way, at any point during the day, if there's a specific song that I need or want to listen to, I have it right here. So for instance, if, if I go to the gym or I'm running or I'm working out, it's very likely that I'll be playing something like this. Well, Mumford & Sons, any Mumford & Sons fans? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. There's something about Mumford & Sons that just like, makes me want to run and sweat and work out, and so that's kind of part of my workout music, all right? But then there are other songs that uh, I'll go to as well. So for instance, uh, maybe I'm studying for the sermon, or maybe I'm, I'm in my car and I just want to worship a little bit, I'm likely to play a song like this. Isn't that an amazing song? Like, it's one of the best praise and worship songs over the last few years. Uh, and just any time I listen to that song, it just makes me want to worship God and give glory to Him. And so there's songs I go to specifically for worship, right? Some of you are like that. But then there are some other songs. Most of you know that like I'm from the South, right? That's not been hidden from you. And uh, there are sometimes I just want to renew that, that inner Southerner in me. And so I'm likely to listen to a song like this. Oh yeah, yeah. Now it's not Tennessee, right? But Alabama's close, okay? And so uh, anytime I listen to Sweet Home Alabama, I'm always thinking back to home and uh, life when I was growing up. Now, then there are songs like, say for instance, I'm at the office and um, this happens unfortunately uh, too often. Uh, Pastor Terry will come in my office and he won't leave. He just stays there, and I do everything I can to try to drop hints, but he won't leave. So sometimes I have to play a song like this. All right, so, you know, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Baptist preacher, Dan, oh, that's not allowed, right? But then there are times, sit down, Pastor Terry. Beat it. Beat it. Just beat it. And then there are times I just want to dance, you know, like you ever been in one of those moods, you just want to dance. And in a situation like that, I'm likely to go oldies to maybe a song like this. Let's turn that up. Anybody with me? Come on. Oh, come on. Woo! Nice. Right? There's just something about that that just, it just, how can you listen to that song and not want to dance? Baptist, right? Come on. 
There are songs that just do that. But then there are songs like when I'm around my girls. I got two little girls. I love my girls so much. And whenever they're around me, I have to play this. I'm just getting warmed up. Our first time guests are like, I ain't never coming back to this church. What's going on here? Then there are times I just want to reminisce about high school. I want to go back to my high school days. And so I'll probably play this. Oh, yeah. VIP. Let's kick it. Alright, stop. Collaborate and listen. I sit back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly. Flow like a heart move daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. To the extreme, I rock a mic like a vandal. Light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. Damn. Chris, speak of that booms, I'm killing your brain like a poisonous... Oh, I'm sorry, the song's over. I, woo! I'm so embarrassed. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. That was embarrassing. Among other things. Then la lastly, then there are just times, certain days, when maybe I'm getting ready for a date with my wife, and I need that song. That special song like this. I tell my staff, you can do anything once, right? So, now you're like, what in the world is the point of all that craziness, all that silliness? It's this, and it's so practical, and you know it so well. There are specific songs we go to at specific seasons of life. 
When there's a certain mood you want to feel, when there's a certain occasion you want to get ready for, there's specific songs that you look to or listen to to be able to get you ready or accomplish that mood. You're never going to forget this and all that silliness. Listen, that's the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a collection of songs for different seasons of life. There are times when you feel like you have no hope, and there's a psalm for that. There's times when you just want to worship God, you just want to sing and give glory to Him, and there's a psalm for that. There's times when you are in a tight spot and you need help, and there's a psalm for that. That's what this series mixtape is all about. Now, last summer, we looked at about nine or ten of the 150 songs that God has given us. And for the rest of this summer, we're going to look at just a few more. It's like side B or volume two of our mixtape. Because listen, Faith Family, there are going to be days when you go through things where you need a song in your heart. And God, by His grace, has given us songs to sing. We're going to look at one this morning, which is a song of peace. And there are some of you here today, you need this song. Think about even what we're going through in our nation. We need to sing a song of peace. Let's look at it here in Psalm chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 4 and verse 1. These are the words of our God. Answer me when I call, O God, my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after idols? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound in peace. I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for passages like this that are so practical. They meet us in the everyday of life. And uh, Lord, what I know is that everybody in this room either has experienced this or will experience this. So would you come and teach us? Would you come and speak to us? Would you come and give us a song to sing? We ask in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Would you please be seated? Tracy Lippard was a um, beauty pageant winner from Virginia, but her life was anything but glamorous. Tracy's past was filled with broken relationships. She'd been with man after man after man after man, always hurt, always left destroyed. And then she met Scott. And she was convinced that Scott was the one. She was convinced that Scott was going to break the pattern of brokenness in her life. 
But then several months into the relationship, she discovered that he had been engaged and was currently engaged to another woman. The entire time they'd been dating, she was devastated. In fact, Tracy decided that she was going to confront her now ex-boyfriend and his fiance. And so after her final pageant, after she had crowned her successor, she got into her car. She drove 275 miles to confront them. And confront them is precisely what she intended to do. She carried with her a gun, a knife, a hammer, and some lighter fluid. Tracy knocked on the door, and the door opened, and there stood her ex-boyfriend, soon-to-be father-in-law, the man of the house. She made up some kind of story about her car being broken down, and she needed to come in and use the phone. He was nice enough to let her in. She started looking around the house and noticing everything, and she, she looked on the table, and there was a bridal magazine. She asked what that was for, and he began to explain to her that his daughter was soon-to-be married. That's when she snapped. That's when she lost it. She pulled out that hammer. She hit the man on the head. What she did not know is that that man was a former secret service agent. And even though he was hit, he was not knocked out. He grabbed her. He forced her to the ground. And he held her there until the cops arrived. Tracy was sentenced to two years prison for attempted murder. But what struck me about Tracy's story was when they interviewed her, why did you act out in such anger? Why did you act out in such revenge? What was going on inside you? This is what she said. Quote, I found myself lying in bed all night wanting to know the truth. I was searching for peace. Now my guess is a lot of us here today can relate to Tracy. I don't mean her specific situation. I certainly hope not her specific actions. What I mean is I bet most of you here today know what it's like to lay in bed at night, your stomach in knots, tossing and turning, wanting to know the truth, searching for peace. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever had a sleepless night? Have you been there? I don't mean you had a sleepless night because you had too much caffeine that day or you had Chinese food past 10 p.m. I mean you had a sleepless night because something was weighing heavy on your mind. Your soul was distressed about something. You kept thinking about the doctor's appointment that would happen the next morning. You kept recalling the conversation you had with your spouse or your child earlier in the day that didn't go so well. You keep thinking about the guilt of broken promises. You keep thinking about the mortgage that's coming due, but yet the bank account is empty. And those things, they weigh on your mind and you cannot sleep. And it doesn't matter how much warm milk you drink, how many sheep you can or how many Tylenol PM you take, you cannot go to sleep. You're restless. 
There's no peace. Well, I have good news for you today. There's a psalm for that. It's Psalm 4. It's it's a psalm of David. It's an evening prayer, an evening song that David is singing as he's laying on his bed, as his head hits the pillow. Look at verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts. Here it is. On your beds and be silent. Look at verse 8. In peace I will both Lie down and sleep. David here is on his bed. He is lying in his bed at night and he is experiencing peaceful sleep. Now, you need to understand what's going on in David's life to understand why this is such an amazing psalm. Psalm 4. Most people think that Psalm 4 and Psalm 3 are a unit. A morning prayer and an evening prayer that's taking place during the time in David's life when he is experiencing a personal and professional crisis. David's son, Absalom, wants to be king. Here's the problem with that. David is king. This is a monarchy. The only way David is no longer going to be king is if he dies. So Absalom, his own son, wants to kill his father so that he can be king. And to make matters worse, not only does David's own son Absalom turn against him, his very own people, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, who he has done so much for, he has led them so faithfully. He's not a perfect guy, clearly, but they've experienced amazing victory under his leadership, and they're on Absalom's side. And he's on the run. And he is scared for his life. And he lays down at night and he sings this song. Now, what is it that's troubling David? And how does he find peace? That's what we're going to look at for the rest of our time. The first thing that's troubling David is the criticism of other people. The words that people have said about him. Look at verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Right here, faith family. David knows what it's like to have his reputation drugged through the mud. David knows what it's like to be slandered. David knows what it's like to be gossiped about. He knows what it's like to be the target of people's criticism. And not only people's criticism, but people who are closest to him. Can anybody relate? And how many of you here this morning have experienced the pain of someone close to you saying those words that can never be taken back and they stung and they burned and they scarred and they did damage? That's what David has experienced. He has experienced that pain of what other people are saying about him. And how many of us, be honest, when we lay in our bed and when we can't sleep and when we have things that are weighing on our minds, what we think about are the things that people have said. That email that you opened and immediately got nervous. That word that your spouse shouted across the room and you recall that over and over and over again at night. 
One of your biggest threats to the peace in your heart is the words of other people. This is why the Bible, this is so practical this morning, okay? This is why the Bible says a lot about our tongue, a lot about what comes out of our mouth. Let me give you just a few verses, though there are many in Scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 13 says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Notice this, the venom of asps is under their lips. Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. It breaks the spirit. James chapter 3, probably one of the most famous passages about the tongue and the words that we say, says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Those are not cute words. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James's imagery here is that of like a California fire that happened a few years ago that had to evacuate 15,000 people. It destroyed 43 homes and buildings. It injured severely three people and devastated 38,000 acres of land. And do you know how that fire started? Do you know what brought about all that devastation? Do you know what caused all that disaster? A 10-year-old boy playing with matches. One single match, one little match, one little bitty spark led to all that devastation. What started out as just words ruined the marriage. What started out as just words made them leave the church. What started out as just a little bitty spark came into an entire fire and it devastated someone's life. David is saying, I am lying in bed at night and I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to have your honor turned to shame. I know what it's like to be lied about and slandered. I have third degree burns from the lips of my own people. And it threatens his peace. We've got to think about the words we say. Because it's not just the words that people say to us. It's the words we say to others. And, and I'm aiming ultimately at personal application. But, but even as you listen to our world and how we talk to one another and how we talk about one another, these are sparks that can set ablaze devastation and destruction. There was a little boy who, who struggled with losing his temper, and, and as an object lesson, his, his dad gave him a sack of nails, and he said, son, every time you lose your temper, I want you to put a nail in this fence. On day one, the little boy nailed 37 nails into the fence. He's got problems, all right? 37 nails in one day. 
But then over the next few days, it, he began to get better, and there was fewer nails and fewer nails until finally the day came. He didn't lose his temper at all, and he was so proud. He ran back up to his father, and he said, Daddy, there's no nails in the fence today. The father said, I'm so proud of you, son. Now, here's what I want you to do. Every day that you go without losing your temper, I want you to take a nail out. And he did. And day after day, he was able to keep his temper in control. He'd gotten so much better. And all the nails came out of the fence. And he went back to his father and he said, they're all gone. All the nails have been removed. And his father took him to the fence and he said, look, son, I'm so proud of you. All the nails are gone. But notice... The holes still remain. Some of you have holes that still remain from that word your parents said. That fight that you had with your spouse. Words like you were a mistake. I don't ever want to see you again. I don't love you anymore. And though nobody else knows about it, when the busyness of the day calms in the night, those words come back again. So how do you sleep in peace? How did David fight the criticism of others and be able to sleep at night? Look at verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Now think about what this verse is saying. The Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. Come here, let's think about what does this verse mean. In David's context, it's this. He's the real king. He's the anointed king. He's the appointed king. He belongs to God. He is God's child. In other words, what the application for us would be is we may not be in a position of king, but God has set us apart. We're a part of his family. We're his children if we know Jesus Christ. We're a part of the family of God. So right here, are you with me? Say yes. This is profound. How does David fight the criticism of others? He starts thinking about his identity before God. God, you have set me apart. They may not think I'm king. They may not want me to be king, but you have set me apart to be king. In other words, David is fighting the criticism of others with his identity in God, meaning the only way you're going to have peace and be able to sleep at night when you're criticized is when what God says about you is more important than what others say about you. That does not mean that we're above criticism. It does not mean that some of the things said about David or us is not true. It just means you are in an identity war every day. Who are you going to listen to? If you bow at the altar of human acceptance, you will never sleep in peace. But when you're able to rest in what God says about you, that you are His baggage and all, that's when you can go to sleep. David finds peace on his pillow because he knows who he is in God. 
Here's the second thing that's fighting in his heart. And and it's a natural flow from verses 2 and 3. Look at verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So in other words, right here, what's the natural response when somebody hurts you, says lies about you, shames your honor? The natural response is to emotionally be angry, right? Pay back. Tracy Lippard, revenge. I'm going to get back at them for what they did. Let's be honest. Can we be honest? How about we be honest? Some of you lay at bed at night, and not only do you think about the words people said about you, you think about how you can get back at them. When I wake up in the morning, if she says this, here's what I'm going to say. If he tries that again, I'll do this because it will be equally as painful to him as what the pain is he's giving to me. In other words, you're constantly thinking about how will I be able to settle the score? It's the natural response for sinful creatures to look to anger to be the solution to our problem. But David here on his bed is talking to himself. Be angry. That is, anger is not so much the issue as it is unrighteous anger. And most of our anger is not at righteous things. Amen? And therefore, it leads to sin. Now, Paul actually quotes this verse in Ephesians. You've probably heard this verse before. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. So there's Psalm 4, 4. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, the devil wants you laying on your pillow, dwelling on it. He wants it to boil up. He wants it to spill over. Man, he wants to strike that match and pour gasoline on it. He wants to see destruction in your life where you let go of that anger and get back in revenge. But it'll steal your peace, brother. Sister, you may feel good in the moment, but you won't be able to sleep at night. And David is fighting this, so how does he find peace when it would be easy to be angry? Look at verse 5. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This is so good. This is so good. You know what David is saying here in this song? He's saying this. The way you fight the tendency to be angry is to trust God. Now, let me break that down in a very applicable way. What you have to do if you're going to sleep in peace is put the situation in God's hands, not in yours. Because in your hands, it's revenge. In your hands, it's fight. In your hands, it's get back. But in God's hands, it's I'm going to let God settle the score. I'm trusting Him. Here is what I wrote down that is so uh, important for me. It's this. Unrighteous anger is the result of misplaced trust. Think on that. Unrighteous anger is the result of misplaced trust. That is, I want to be God rather than letting God be God. It's vengeance is mine rather than vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
That's powerful. And nobody else needed that. I needed that. That the way I sleep in peace when it's easy to be angry and seek revenge is to trust God. I wonder if David ever applied that. Now listen, there are all kinds of passages that we could go to where we can see David as a sinner. Oh my gosh. I mean, the Bible is very clear on his faults. But this is actually something that David applies um, at the exact same time of Psalm 4. I want you to turn over or follow on the screen something that happens in David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel 16. And you're going to find as I read this, again, that it's the same context as Psalm 4. It's happening in the same situation that David's in in Psalm 4. And notice what happens. 2 Samuel 16 verse 5 says, When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came out, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men that were on his right hand and on his left. Now follow this. This is David's like army. These are his bodyguards. These are the people walking with him to protect him. And here comes this guy who thinks he's 10 foot tall and bulletproof, shouting curses, throwing rocks, throwing dirt. This guy thinks he's a big old boy. He's taken on David and he's cursing him to his face. Notice what he says, verse 7. Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. Do you see the context? Say yes. See, your evil is on you for you are a man of blood. This guy is like a barking chihuahua. He's just right there on the heels, like everywhere David goes, go away, go away. You're a this and you're a that, and here's a rock upside your head, and you're a this and you're a that. It's like, dude, be quiet. And then one of David's men steps up. Oh, I love verse 9. Then Abishai, he's one of David's like bodyguards, the son of Zariah said to the king, why should this dead dog, see I told you he was a chihuahua, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king, let me go over and take off his head. Can I just say I love Abishai. <laughs> I, sl- I think Abishai would make the perfect elder at a church. I just... <laughs> I think all of our elders should memorize that verse. You say anything about our pastor, I take you down. All right, that's that's just for free, all right? So my point is here, David has has the opportunity right in front of him to take revenge, doesn't he? The little chihuahua's barking, shouting criticisms. Abishai steps up and says, I can take care of this pretty quickly. Won't take long. And David's response is this. Here's the point. But the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all the servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone, let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me. That's important. It's still wrong. It's still sin. It shouldn't happen. It ought to be held accountable. But the Lord will repay with good for his cursings today. Wow! Anybody convicted? 
Man, there's little chihuahuas, sometimes Doberman painters or bulldogs around us and they're, they're shouting criticism and everything in us would say, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to seek revenge. I'm going to get back. I'm going to pay back and I'm going to off with their heads. And David says, you're never going to be able to sleep in peace until you can trust in God. It's the only way you can fight that threat to peace in your life. What a word for our land. So he fights criticism with his identity in God. He fights anger with trusting in the Lord. I'm going to put this in God's hands rather than taking matters into my own. And then lastly, we'll finish with this Psalm 4. David is fighting for his contentment in his heart. Notice what he says, verse 6. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In other words, quickly here, David is saying in a rhetorical way, what I could say in this situation is, God, why don't you shine a little light my way? Hello? I'm your king, aren't I? Do I deserve this? What I ought to be is sitting peacefully on my throne in my kingdom. What I am doing is running away. Is that right? Does that seem fair? Shine a little light on me. Bring a little good my way. Oh, this is so practical. When people criticize us and that leads to anger, do you know what that then also can easily lead to? Resentment. God, I don't think this is fair. God, I don't think you have dealt me the right hand. David says it's very easy to get there, but that will steal your peace. So notice what he says in verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. I just I got to be quick here. David is simply saying this in a nutshell. My life can be about one or two things. Abundance of God or abundance of life. My joy, my peace can either be based on what other people think about me and how good my situation is or you can be the joy of my heart. And David is saying, God, as I lay here on my bed, I am confessing to you, you're enough. You're enough. I don't need a kingdom. I don't need a family as much as I love those things. What I need is you. And when you're the joy of my heart, even when I'm not abounding in grain and wine, I am at peace. Wow. Y'all with me this morning? What an awesome psalm. It's so relatable. I'll summarize it and then we're done. David is in a crisis in his life. He's faced criticism and conflict. He's fighting for contentment. He's battling the emotions of life as he's dealing with all these things. But he learns to be able to go to sleep at night. How? These five quick practical things. I'm not even going to elaborate on, on them. But number one is this. Five things to do when you can't sleep. Are you ready? Five things to do when you can't sleep because your soul is heavy. Number one is pray. 
pray. That's what this whole psalm is, by the way. Verse 1, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. The whole psalm is a song or a prayer to God. Get your mind right through worship and prayer. Number two, remember what God says about you. Some of you are fighting in an identity issue. You're letting other people define who you are rather than what thus saith the Lord has said about you if you're his child. Number three is trust in God's ability, not your anger. That is, don't seek revenge, trust God. Number four, desire abundance of God more than abundance in life. That's so huge. Desire abundance of God more than abundance in life. And then fifth and finally is remember Jesus. Wow. On your bed, remember Jesus. Now, the reason why I say remember, some of you are like, of course he brings Jesus into it, right? (laughs) Pastor, seriously, I'm no biblical scholar, but Jesus isn't even mentioned in this psalm. Eventually, you're going to have to come clean with everybody that Jesus isn't everywhere in the Bible. Actually, yeah, he is. The whole story is about him. Do you know why Psalm 4 is about Jesus? Because it's about a king that knows what it's like to have his own people turn against him. It's about a king who knows what it's like to have false accusations made about him. It's about a king who knows what it's like whose own people want him dead. Crucify him! Crucify him! Why? Because they want to be king. And how does this king respond? How does Jesus respond? Not with anger, not with revenge, but he lays his life down. Not on a pillow, but on a cross. And three days later, Jesus wakes up and walks out of the grave, thus fulfilling Psalm 4, which I leave you with this. It means this simple point. Are you listening? Say yes. You will never have peace in your life until the Prince of Peace is Lord over your life. Ever. You will never have peace in your life until the Prince of Peace is Lord of your life. Today, find your identity in Him. Today, put your trust in Him. Today, find your joy in Him. Because when you do, you can sing a song in the night. A song that goes like this. In peace, I lie down and sleep. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for just a great practical psalm for us today. A song that we need. A song of peace. There are people in this place today that that their peace is being threatened by the words of others. It's being threatened by the emotions that's raging within them. It's being threatened by the contentment of life of more, more, more. If only I had that. If only I had that. And they've got to be content in You. And until those things happen, Lord, until we find trust in in You, we'll never find peace. And so I pray, Father, this morning that each and every person here 
would know the Prince of Peace that we might sleep in peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.